This morning, church, um, we, are, we have invited uh, one of the local ministries or missionaries that we've been supporting for the past several years. It's Grace Finder Resourcing Network. And the man behind this uh, ministry is Brian Clark, who has who's been a dear, his whole family has been a, a dear friend of mine for the past five years. Um, if you guys can recall, um, uh, when I first came on board, um, I was... I spent half of my time with this ministry and the rest of the, and the other half with, with our church. Um, and so let me tell you a little bit about this ministry before he comes and delivers the good word. Um, it's a resourcing ministry and what he loves to do, what it basically does is provides resource, um, uh, material, the good word, uh, uh, seminars um, to the city, to the church, and to the campuses of Alberta. And a lot of the places that he has done this is in Lethbridge, Calgary, Red Deer, um, uh, Airdrie, Edmonton. Um, and for the past 10 years, um, he has pretty much worked out of the U of A. Um, him and his wife have been serving there faithfully to the students um, for the past 10 years. And they have done marvelous things uh, with the students that they've invested for the f um, in their four, six, eight years there. And so um, I am excited to hear the word from him, because uh, I know he has a lot to share, um, and he's definitely uh, will deliver the word um, through a very unique and a real lens. So uh, let's welcome him. Thanks for inviting me here this morning. I've seen people here. We've been here plenty of times. And uh, it does take time, though, to get to know people. And we do travel around and try to uh, connect with, with our bodies, our places, as missionaries. And so, but we are, we are privileged and thankful for places like Twilliger and, and other places in the city that allow us to do what we love, to show people the greatest thing that has ever happened in this world. Uh, let the the greatest news that can ever possibly be told of our King, the Lord Jesus. There are some things we don't want to talk about. In a way, I've drawn the short straw, although I chose the short straw. Um, of the Psalm series we've been doing, you've been hearing from Pastor Norb and Ed and from Sid, and, and we're building this series on, a, on the Psalms. The Psalms are a plethora, a massive place to hear from God in the whole range of emotions. And so I just want to give you a heads up that the message I bring today relates to who I am and the journey I've been on. It's more than what I typically would say. You know, usually I'm preaching, I preach a sermon on John 1, and I got to exalt and proclaim the greatest thing, that God became a man, that Jesus became, came to this earth and showed us what God is like and the amazement that has for us. So I get to do that many times. But the scripture doesn't allow us to only pick and choose what we want to speak on. And then this is part of my journey and I believe a way to help the body of Christ struggle with those passages, those places that are difficult. Because life does have many struggles, many challenges and Scripture allows us and engages us and brings us straight into the heart 
of a God who understands. In this story of creation and the brokenness, the fall, to redemption, to the consummation or restoration. I hear some of the young people are learning that, so that's for you. This whole story, that we're in it. That we're walking in this story and that sometimes it's hard to say what we want to say. But the scripture says it for us. And so, as I've recently been, uh, and I did my first funeral for my uncle who died at 56, um, many reasons, I've had a journey that has put me in places maybe called the valley of the shadow of death, as Norv has alluded to last week. And I suspect that there are people here as well who know this, and we all at some level know this. Life has many broken things. And so that's a heads up for some hard things that I might say. Um, to say hello and welcome myself to a congregation the first time. That's not what I usually do, but it's part of my journey. And you'll know what I mean in a minute. And I hope that I don't um, cause any um, trouble for for some of you because what I might say might be hard. But before we go to continue in God's word, let me pray for us. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. You are so good to us as we've been singing and you're always with us. And yet you understand also that we are a broken people and that we are made right through Christ. We're made whole, we're renewed, but yet we live in this world and we journey on and we struggle on because we watch the news, because we see the things happen around us. We see people leave this world and we need you. We need this word this morning, this psalm that breaks through from David, that gives us a sense of the journey of life from the brokenness, from the cries of the heart all the way to trust. And it certainly doesn't happen as quickly as the psalm says. But we know that you are giving us a frame, a way to live, eyes to see, a lens for this world, that we can make it all the way to the end when you bring us home and when there is a new heaven and new earth. And so we come to you and we lay our hearts and our lives before you in Jesus' name. Amen. There it was again. The questions. Why, Daddy? I can still see the faces of my little girls and my students as well later. The questions that plagued them, that challenged them. I remember the questions of why suffering? Why death? And then I remember my daughter Jessica saying to me, Why did Adam have to fall? These questions ring and resonate through our lives, the why questions. You know, they say the world is made up of people with different questions, who, what, where, when, how. I don't know where where you fit into this spectrum. We use them all, of course, but there tends to be something that dominates. And for me, that's been the why questions. I'm a why person as long as I can remember. Why, Lord? Why? What's happening in this world? Maybe this is why the university campus has been a good fit for me. As I've been a perpetual student, even as I became a chaplain, a campus pastor, a professor, directing Grace Finder, setting up Grace Finder initially for students full of questions, for people full of questions about scripture, about life, and how they link together. It's not an easy place to live. I don't know if you live here or not, but the curiosity and the difficult questions are never far away. They're always there at some level. Maybe you've heard the famous uh, apologist Ravi Zacharias say this, 
but he said that he, up to that point in his life, had not had too many issues with his health. But he said, every day I wake up and I suffer in my mind. I suffer with the challenges and the difficult questions and I see the pain of the world. That stuck with me. That kind of says my story too. But I'm glad there's room in scripture for us, for these why kinds of people or how come kind of people. It's also why I appreciate the Bible's honesty, why I can tell others about it, why I can ask them to read it, because it's honest, it reaches straight into my life. It's written in a way that reads my heart. It reflects the need that I have. It reaches into the pain, and it gives hope of restoration. It doesn't leave me there, but it brings me hope. It's so real. And you know, God engages our questions as we've heard this morning, the passage we're going to engage today. Have you seen where Abraham in the Old Testament actually engages and barters with God? Do you see the place where Moses is engaging with God and, and, and wrestling with God? Jacob wrestles with God. What an honest way to think and to see in Scripture. It's so much more than just God is so far away that we can never engage but God comes and wrestles with us and shows us the way. Jesus' agonizing cry on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Maybe an echo to our psalm this morning. The church affirms, we affirm all scripture is God breathed, but each has applications in different yet complementary ways. The Psalms are often called the anatomy of the soul. I read this morning that one theologian said it's the mirror of the soul, the mirror of the human person through and through. They have a special place in the body of Christ. I don't know if you have been reading them lately, but there's been a pattern in the church where people would read, I heard one man say, five Psalms a day, whether you like it or not. Um, that's maybe a lot, because some of them are really long, like Psalm 119. Um, but there's a sense that they really do help us speak our language of the church. There's a great book, actually, by Tim Keller on this, and they're called, it's called The Songs of Jesus. These are the songs that Jesus would have learned and memorized and spoken. I, I, rec I commend it to you. It's 365 psalms, so not <laughs> so heavy a diet. These psalms are, have been special in, their, in the fact that they praise God. They have wisdom from God. They show thanksgiving to God. And they also show lament the cries of the human heart. The people of God have sung and recited psalms as their hearts expressed in story. Martin Luther called this the mini Bible because it has such a scope. It goes from creation to hope in a Messiah. There's those beautiful creation hymns like our psalms like um, Psalm 19 and then others that go to places where it's pointing to Jesus coming. They're so grand in scope. And yet so practical. One of the ancient church fathers, Athanasius, said one of the things that are helpful for the church is whatever your particular need or trouble, from this same book, the Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill. More than medicine, more than doctors, we have spiritual help from the Psalms including, obviously, doctors in places that are truly important. There we find an inspired place where the cries of our hearts are expressed before God from the depths of mourning to the height of joy. Today we look at a lament psalm, a psalm of David. 
among the many others. It may be unusual to you. I don't know how often you read them. And yet, someone has said that this book of Psalms is probably up to 40% lament. 40%. And that doesn't mean all separated, but in different places, the lament of the human heart is there. It seems God knows for our overall health, including our spiritual health, we need to express a full range of emotions as humans, including lament. Picture living in a day when disease and loss are everyday occurrences. Well, maybe we don't have to just picture the first century. Maybe we can see that on the news as well. But picture that day where, no, where David was living. So much tragedy. No wonder we see throughout the Psalms these cries of the human heart. And you know, they've been an ongoing mainstay for the church that suffers and ministers to the broken, to the broken people around us. We see so much suffering in the world, and they know that God cares because of these psalms. We don't accept a Greek stoicism with the motto, just suck it up. I know we may have said that before, but that isn't the ultimate answer. The lament psalms are our answer. God has given us something better. These psalms are a healthy corrective to a spiritual diet that needs an outlet to express the sorrow of our brokenness. All seems well, and then it hits us, and all of life changes. Our family has walked in this valley, losing our middle daughter, Melissa. I was there with her in the car. And without psalms like this, I don't know where my faith would be. I know God holds us and keeps us, but this psalm, many psalms like this, were the staple for my soul to keep me alive. God truly cares for those who mourn, those who are brokenhearted, and gives hope for all, as the songwriter says, for all the stolen voices will someday be returned. We see today in Psalm 13 how it reads our heart, reflects our need, reaches our pain, and restores us. Notice first the psalm. Notice David, probably in a cave, hiding from Saul. David, first of all, tells us, shows us, that the psalm reads our heart, verse 1 and 2. It reads our heart. The psalmist is openly authentic with God. The why questions are allowed. Some versions of faith miss the way we can struggle with God. Yet even the disciples are able to argue with Jesus. While God is majestic as seen in other psalms and comforting, and and even there are confessional psalms as we've seen so far, here are cries of the heart akin to Jesus on the cross. Uses words like, don't forget me. Don't hide, O God. Where's your face? I'm alone. So when we point others to Jesus, we truly have someone who understands us more deeply than anyone. The deepest hurts are not hidden from his gaze. He's given us these psalms, even as Jesus grew up with them. Notice it says, how long? Four times. It's repeated and repeated and repeated for emphasis and also for the fact of the emptying of the heart. The psalmist asks, why? Are you forgetting, hiding? Why? The psalmist is in anguish, saying it over 
and over again. It might be something we would be afraid to express, but there it is in Scripture. Where are you, O Lord? We can see an assumption that God is ever-present, but expresses for us the struggle of trusting an unseen God. We don't see God. And so many times our hearts express these things. And David does this for us. In a way, it reads our heart, our minds, because the psalmist also struggles. David struggles in a broken world. Scripture says God never leaves or forsakes us. These are words that have stuck with me and stayed with me, and I've clung to, and really they've clung to me. These aren't just words. Looking forward from David, the psalmist, and backwards for us, we see God's son in anguish asking the same question. And he bears it all for us, every drop of anguish. Here is a word for those who mourn. And to those who are yet to mourn, to remember where you can go with everything. Everything. And from my experience, and those who are not maybe yet there yet, we need less words and more prayer, more hugs in these psalms. So first we saw, we see that our hearts are read by David, by the psalm. And also secondly, the psalm reflects our need in verse 3 and 4, our need. We need to go to God to answer us. It says what we want to say, but maybe we're afraid to say it. Can we talk to God like that? Here are inspired prayers that show us we can put ourselves completely out there as they touch our need. God knows us anyway. Why am I so afraid to be honest with God? One wise theologian says, human beings find themselves overcome from time to time by extreme anger and hatred. These emotions shouldn't determine how we live. But we must have a way of saying something. Yes, that is actually where I am right now. And the safest place to do this is in God's presence. The Psalms offer a way of worshiping God amid any and all emotional states. I've been in that place. I suspect others have been in that place. I meet people regularly now in that place. I meet people who actually God draws to himself through that hard place. I've wanted to repress that need, but especially at the beginning, it just burst out of me. I couldn't stop it. And only knowing there was room for my emotion could I get up each morning that God has already placed in the Psalms a place for me to go. That Jesus, the man of sorrows, is acquainted with our grief. I'll be honest, though. It is very uncomfortable in the presence of someone who is in that space. You actually want them to stop. But the Spirit hears the groans when we don't know what to say in Romans. Romans 8.26 says that likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That place is a difficult place. But the grace of God flows from that text to show us 
that when we can't pray, others pray, and even the Spirit prays. Above all, the Spirit prays for us and works through us. The Spirit knows our hearts, and the Spirit knows our need. And the psalm and the Spirit also teach us that this reaches our pain. The psalm reaches our pain. In verse 5 and 6, it shifts to a moment of trust. The text is a quick version of a lament. There are others that are more in detail. There's others, there's even a lament in the, in the, in the psalm, Psalm 88, where the whole thing is just a lament, and then it stops. The book of Lamentations is full of this as well. This is not user-friendly scripture on some level, but it is actually for the people who are there. And so when you've gone through something, there is a place in scripture to, that reaches the pain, that moves you to the trust, that moves me to the trust of the end of David's psalm. Because initially, it seems quick. quick. All of a sudden, David just jumps to verse 5, and he's like, wow, everything's good. I'm going to trust you. But I think it's more of an agonizing journey, and you can see that in other parts of Scripture. That David doesn't just wake up one day and say, yep, I trust the Lord. But in a way, he's speaking that trust into himself. He's preaching to himself, trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust. Despite the valley, despite how bad it is, I'm going to trust. Our hearts are read by the psalm. They're reflected there, and our innermost need comes out of us. We are reached and consoled and strengthened here. We can feel heard by God as we pray. How long? And sense that God hears. That's the sense of verse 5 and 6, that David knows God hears. And this also comes through the touch and care of the body of Christ. It's not just that sense of us and God, but it's also of us with each other as a community of faith. People who, like Job's comforters, before they made the mistake of opening their mouths, just sat for seven days with Job. Just sat. God does hear us. That body really does help. For me, it was actually my hockey team. They just let me play hockey. They let me get angry. They let me struggle. And they stayed there with me all the way through. This trust takes time. But God will get us there. And even if it doesn't happen fully, he brings us home to himself. But there are days that come along and years go along and suddenly there's a noticing that the ache is less and the fog clears or gets more clear. In my case, it took several years. People can hardly comprehend that. It took several years at least. And then I realized I could pray a little bit more and be more present to care for my family. I could say verse 5 and 6, but mostly I look back and I wonder how David would say this. And I see the Savior carrying me. The fact I still trust is not because of my own power. How could I stay in God's power myself? I couldn't do it. David reflects this reality to us and the need for trust. But in the end, it also points us forward that that trust comes from Christ and that he carries us and takes us all the way and that Christ doesn't leave us there, that we are also restored. The psalm also points, fourthly and lastly, that God restores us. 
restores us allowing for real struggle and giving voice to the afflicted. This is restorative in the psalm, really. And the closing verses point forward to the hope in a God who hears. While the scars remain and the ache is still there, I hesitantly began to sing, especially when the songs reflected that balance of beauty and brokenness. Maybe there are musicians here who are people who write songs. I would recommend go to the Psalms and write your songs. Write the laments. Write these songs for the people. It's amazing how when we come to others' brokenness, they see their need and they go to the Savior. Because otherwise they have nowhere else to go. So I recommend those musicians to write some of these songs again in the, in the tunes of our generation or of our generations. These word restores us. It is a good word for us. I began to be able to recite scripture again and care for students again. And the words have come back to me to a degree. In light of the big picture of my own brokenness and sin, the redemption of God to the hope of a new heavens and earth, it draws me forward. It draws us forward in his grace. We can't say, I can't say this flippantly. Or triumphantly, it has been four years and things are still there, aching, raw. And there are moments when I can't even speak and I get lost in my mind. Really, my memory has been a blur and it's so sketchy at times. And yet God's grace keeps going through us. God's grace finds us and keeps finding us. But the one who's called the man of sorrows is truly with us. He knows the grief of the psalmist, expressed even in the deepest of mystery as God and man. Jesus experiences the anguish, the grief of life, the lament. Jesus felt it more than anyone else. One professor of mine said that Jesus felt the rawness of life like the aching of a, a tooth that is raw of the nerve. Jesus felt the pain all around him, the man of sorrows, and yet he moved forward because he knew the joy that was set before him was the cross, beyond the cross, the resurrection. In the end, we're left with so many questions, unanswered questions even, that we won't know until that day we see Christ face to face. We still see tragedies and pain in our world. I still wake up every day stuck in places asking why. But each day goes by and we can move in the rhythm of this psalm from struggle to trust. Because of the one who lived in this world and triumphed, he looked death squarely in the face and he didn't flinch. He will destroy. He has destroyed that enemy on the cross. He has felt our pain, but he knows the hope of resurrection, and it is our gift too, as we are raised with him. What a picture of restoration in this psalm for our lives, that the trust that David had, what a gift. How do you live in a world like David's and say, I trust you, Lord? I get a picture of that as well in the famous, I hope, known Narnia series. Are we familiar with Narnia? The, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The, last, uh, the story of the, uh, the magician's nephew to the last battle. Don't get me going. I don't know what the time is. Okay, it's good. Um, it's a picture of, of the creation of the world by God. Aslan, the lion figure, who is Christ. All the way, he sings the world into existence, but then immediately something comes in, the white witch, to destroy and to wreck and to hurt 
the creation, the world. And then the rest of the stories, on and on, you see the struggle, the brokenness of, a, of the world, and yet you see redemption by Aslan. By the end, restoration comes so clear in this passage. Maybe this rings with you. If you haven't read it yet, I recommend you do, and I hope I haven't spoiled it for you when I read this to you. The, the sense of restoration. And as he, that's Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this, the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. We lament through this life. We walk through the, the, the valleys but we are led to ultimate joy. Restoration is coming, and things, all things are being made new through Christ. This psalm, my experience of loss, and Jesus teaches us that when people are crying out to God, we can let them grieve and question, like in verse 1 to 4. We don't have to push them to resolution. The Spirit is very near to the brokenhearted. In God's grace, they will be moved to verse 5 and 6 to trust. But as we all know, life moves in this rhythm and new struggles will come as we rest and call upon the grace to see through our tears. To the day when God will. Hit me this morning. When God will wipe away all our tears. Mind-boggling. When every chapter is better than the one before. What a day that will be. Our cries, our questions of how long, why, will turn into hallelujah, praise Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Is it normal for me to pray right now? May I pray? Okay. Thank you, Lord, for letting us take a small dip into this passage. There's so much more there. There are so many things that could be said. I pray that as a people, that we would open our hearts to you this way. If this is a new word, I pray that you would help us with the, the difficulty. I pray that if it is something that has opened up a wound, I pray, Lord, that your body would come around and pray and love. I pray that it also would prepare us for the struggles of our lives. We live trusting you and trusting in your grace as we need it every day. In Christ we pray. Amen.